Now, I want you to know that Genesis 12 takes place 2,000 years after Adam and Eve. So you've got the first 2,000 years of Genesis have been covered. And now the second 2,000 years starts with Abraham, Abraham, the life of Abraham. In the first 2,000 years, we saw creation. We saw the fall of man. We studied the judgments of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Now in the second 2,000 years, we're going to be looking at the life of a man called Abraham. And it opens up and it says, God had told Abraham, leave your own country behind you and your own people and go to the land that I will guide you to. If you do, I'll cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you, make your name famous, and you will be a blessing to many others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And the entire world, wow, that's a heavy statement. The entire world will be blessed because of you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him to. And Lot went to, that was, Abraham, that was Abraham's nephew. And it says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him, and Lot went to. Abram, which was what they called him then, Abram was 75 years old at the time, took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all his wealth, the cattle and the slaves he had gotten in, Her in Haran, and finally arrived in Canaan. And then in verse 7 it says, And Jehovah appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give you this land to your descendants. And Abraham built, and Abraham built an altar there to commemorate Jehovah's visit. Afterwards, Abram left the place and traveled southward toward the hilly country between Bethel and the west and Ai and the east. Made a camp there, made an altar to the Lord and prayed to him. And thus he continued slowly southward to Negev, pausing frequently. All right? Now, that's the, the, the 14th chapter. But the chapter that we will be looking at uh, will... Uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, that was the 12th chapter. And the next chapter, which coincides perfectly uh, with a continuation of God's visit to Abraham, is the 15th. But let me talk first about uh, this 12th chapter of the book. It, it starts with something interesting. It starts with a call from God. Uh, God had told Abraham, leave your own country behind you and your own people and go to the land that I will guide you to. Now, this is God telling a man to move on. This is God telling a man uh, that, uh, and, then, and when, when God does this, this is what we call divine direction. God told him, move on. And Abraham, the scripture tells us that God not only was calling him, but God also was guiding him. Now, there are three phases in the life of Abraham. First is the call. Second is the separation. And third is the blessing. First is the call, then the separation, and then the blessing. 
Number one in the call is simply God looking for a man. You know something? God has a tremendous romance with humanity. You'd never believe it the way men run wild. You'd never believe it the way people don't believe in him. You'd never believe it with the attitudes that some people have. Yet God's prized possession, God's prized situation, uh, he looked at everything he made and the scripture says he saw it was good. But when he made man, that was the crowning effort. That was the, that was the, the best he had ever done. And this was done, and God loved man from the moment that he made man. And even when we read in the time of Noah, and even when we read in the time of the building of the Babel Tower, uh, God says, I repent of having made them, yet he never left them. Uh, so it, uh, we, can, we can understand it because we've been angry parents. Uh, we have been parents that we love our children, but every now and then you can take them by the neck and squeeze them tight. Not too tight, but just tight. All right? But so we can understand God realizing that this man wasn't as perfect. You see, God intended in his creation of man to have one that would serve him in spirit and in truth. In other words, a, an obedience that came from knowing who God was. You know, you can't be obedient to someone you don't know. Well, you can out of fear. You can out of duress. Uh, you can out of emotional conflicts. But humanly, naturally, normally, in order to follow someone, you have got to, what shall we say, uh, know them, care for them. You've got to feel some type of attraction. Now, God promised, because you've got to, we've got to go, when we think of Abraham, you've got to go back to Genesis 3.15, when he says that the seed of the woman would be victorious over the seed of the enemy. In other words, that Satan would be defeated through the seed of the woman. Now, when you start to talk about the seed of the woman, we're into an element which is very important. It's interesting because I've, I've preached on it before and you've heard me say it. God has a way of bringing everything to a seed. Everything God ever does, everything great that's ever occurred in the scripture moves right back to a seed pattern. If you talk about faith, Jesus said, if you had faith like a mustard seed. When you talk about redemption, Jesus said, if this seed, which was his life, stays, it, it, nothing is going to happen. But if the seed falls into the ground and dies, then it will bring forth much fruit. He was speaking of his own life and his own redemption. So <coughs> it's important. When Jesus explains to us why some people accept and why some people don't, what did he say? Where the seed falls. There are seeds that fall on the highway, and the birds take it away. There are seeds that fall on rocky places, and they're choked up. There are seeds that fall among thistles and, uh, and do not grow. Then there are seeds that fall in good, good ground, and they bring forth fruit. Now, God is promising to Abraham, and he's telling him, leave your country. God had a plan. Oh, folks, I don't think I, I could spend a whole year. I could spend a whole, uh, I, I don't know, maybe an entire lifetime 
trying to make people understand that God has a plan. We don't always have plans. We can get terribly messed up. We have a situation where we don't know if we're coming or going. We have many conflicts. We have many situations which uh, uh, we don't know how to handle them. Now, our problem is our nature. Our problem is sin. Our problem is the, the, the corruptness that's in us. And it's interesting how we're able to use the corruption of the flesh uh, to literally uh, try to make us or help us to make some, or, or go contrary to God's will. Let me put it that way. Make decisions that we can't, we can't follow through. Because you see, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Up here, you can say, Lord, I'll be true. Lord, I'll be faithful. Lord, I'll be the best thing going. Lord, I'll be... But you know, from up here to in here, it's a whole different ball game. And it's a whole different ball game because the flesh tingles with all the sensations of sensuality. <clears throat> and when I talk about sensuality, I'm not only talking about the sexual... I'm talking about the emotional. I'm talking about the desire for everything. Because it, wouldn't it be nice if you said, well, if I had this, I'd be satisfied. But we never are. We get that and we're not satisfied. We never are. There, there is something about humanity. There's something about us that makes us insatiable. Insatiable. We, 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 just, we just never get satisfied. And that, that's why it's so important. When we see God dealing with men, when we see God dealing with a particular man like Abraham, there are so many steps that apply to us. First of all, God had a plan. i got to get back to that. I don't want anybody in this room, in this chapel, to think that you are an etc. I don't want anybody in this chapel to think that you're just a somebody on the, on the, the, the end of the totem pole. Because you see, those are messages... And I'm going to be very frank and don't make me dramatic. Those are diabolical messages. Anything that puts you under, anything that makes you feel like nothing, anything that brings you down, anything that crushes you, anything that, that makes you feel like a cockroach under a heavy foot. Let me tell you something. That's not of God. Because there is nothing more beautiful that God made than you and I. Yeah, I don't care if you look in the mirror and don't, you don't look like the latest movie star. It doesn't make any difference. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at something that God made. And that, let me tell you something, God's very proud of what he made. So your head may be hanging this way, but God is trying to make you look up and say, Hey, I love you. I made you. And let me tell you something. He didn't make you without a plan. He made you with a plan. And God's first plan is that you know him. And God's second plan is that you walk with him. And then, 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 then he will lay out the life situation. We don't get answers because we don't seek. We don't get answers because we don't knock. We don't get answers because we're not hungry enough for them. Or sometimes because we think we can do it alone. Have you ever felt you can I know a lot of people that are, you know, rowing their own boats, but they were rocking them more than rowing. You know, there are lots of people that say they're in control. We're not in control. We need the help of God. So when you look at Abraham's life, the first thing you have to know is that God loved him and God is calling him. 
And with God's call, there is a plan. There is a plan. But you see, when God calls, you've got to know how to listen. And that's an art we're losing so quickly. Do you realize that? Nobody listens. You know, we complain about our children, right? You give them specific orders. You give them specific details. You give them a specific way of doing something. And they'll come back and they say, I don't know how to do it. And you say, but I told you how. I didn't hear you. No, we're not listening. We're not listening. And listening is an art. Listening is not. When I first started counseling, I always remembered I would sit with people, and as soon as they got started, I would want to make them comfortable, which is a no-no. Because no matter how comfortable you make them, they're not comfortable. They're there because they're not comfortable. So you're not going to make them comfortable. And then whenever I would see that the, 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 the situation was getting a little tense, when I, when I was, right away I'd want to uh, kind of help them out, you know. Oh, oh, I don't want them to cry. I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want them to... Blah, blah, blah. And, I, and all of a sudden I realized, one day I came home, and I said, I am not doing anything. Nothing at all. Because if they walked in fighting, they walk out fighting. So I did nothing for them. I just, I just went accommodating their emotions. And as I sought God's face and a couple of good books, they helped. I realized that the big job of counseling is not babbling. It's listening. Just listen. Just listen. You know how we say kids don't listen? I got news for you. I know a lot of parents that don't listen either. I really, they really don't. It's been proven that every child, especially adolescents, that have committed suicide in the last, hey, what, 20 years that we know and and the number keeps going up. As, the, as they sit back and think, they were talking. They were saying things. But we weren't listening. We weren't listening. So when in the life of Abraham, you've got a man that God calls. Then you've got a man that takes time to listen. Listen. Because you see, you can't be obedient till you know what God wants you to do. Sometimes there are hyper natures that God says, hey, I love you, I need you, I want you, hey, here I am, woo! And from then on, they're, 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 they're like on your mark, ready, set, go, you know, and, and they're, you know, something to go, boom, you know, the, the gun, and they die on the starting line. They die. They die. Why? Because they were never still. They were never still. We must learn to be still before the Lord. You know, folks, when I see parents that take time with their children, I'm so thrilled and I'm so blessed. Now, some take too much time, if you know what I mean. I mean, some people think their children are geniuses and that they're going to sit there and listen from a guru. No, that's, that's not why I listen to a child. I listen to a child because I know God's given me the commitment to work with that child. But you know something? As we listen to them, listening to them does not mean you don't call the shots. That's important. It's very important. I always remember that people thought I was crazy. And I'll, I'll throw this out for whoever wants it. Take it, wrap it up, otherwise throw it out. When I brought up my children, I said in my heart, I'll tell you the truth. I said, they're all going to be musicians. 
And one lady said to me, Well, they can't all be musicians because if they're not talented, what's the use? And I says, Well, that's the difference in the way you think, and that's the difference in the way I think. Because you see, music to me is not necessarily the talent. The talent is the icing on the cake. But the cake is the music. So some cakes don't have icing. Are you hearing me? This is my way of thinking. And I said, they're all going to have. And I remember going to see in Manacatahena about uh, six months ago, and it was so interesting. She says, Amy, I remember when you had no furniture in your house and when you had no money. But you always had the $10 for the piano lesson and you always had the piano in the living room. Imagine no furniture and a piano. That's okay. It was my heart and my mind. I knew. I knew what I wanted to do. And sometimes you should have seen those girls. You know, getting up three girls every single Saturday and going to Carnegie Hall. I would have to do somersaults. Promise them hot dogs. Promise them peanuts. Promise them a walk through Central Park. A dog tired. But I did it. I did it. And I didn't let go. I didn't let go. Debbie plays the piano. Damaris plays the piano. Joanne plays the piano. Joseph Henry plays the piano. They're not all pianists, but they all play the piano. <laughs> they all play the piano. Why? Why? Because it's an education. Why? Because it's another way of, of, of putting these juices to flow in the right direction. One teacher said to me, hey, a child that's into music is a very socially adaptable child. In other words, they fit in anywhere. And it's been true. It's been true. It's not that you want your child to be an artist. You just want your child to have as many of the, the, what shall we say, as many of the, as much information as far as talents or gifts or whatever. I'm talking about, I just wanted them to learn music. And let me tell you, you've got to stick to it. And it has nothing to do with talent. It's just a matter of an education. I remember Joseph Henry used to uh, fuss a little. And he said to me, because he was a drummer. I mean, Joseph Henry was a drummer since he was two years old. He drummed on every can. He drummed on every door. He drummed on anything that made a sound. You'd go in the car and he'd die. You know? I mean, my whole house was And Then one day, oh, this, you're going to die. One day I said, I can't stand the kid. I want those drums in the basement. I want them out of here. And we took the drums to the basement. But what I didn't know is that from the basement comes the heat. And there are vents to every room. So instead of having Joseph Henry's room with drums, I had a whole house full of drums. Que idiota, verdad? I didn't know. I thought I was doing the right thing. I share this to tell you, God has a plan. And this idiocy that I'm talking about now, which was an idiocy to me, is just showing you how a human person, just a mother, can follow through on a plan. Now, I know God has greater plans for them than I will ever have. But you see, I was given the stewardship of from 1 to 18 years of age. And that's why when Joseph used to, used to yell, 
I, I don't want, I don't want lessons. I don't want lessons. And his poor teacher, last teacher died on him. <laughs> really, she did. We went to her funeral. Uh, but I remember I said to him, Joe, I'm going to give you your heart's desire when you're 18. <laughs> God has a plan for your life. And when you go God's way, as you go his way, he develops so many talents, so many gifts. And above everything, he will develop in your life the most important thing in the world, the ability to hear him because you're listening. We're back to listening. Abraham heard from God. Abraham listened to God. And that's the most important thing. You see, we want, and many a time we ask God to give us direction, which is such an honest expression. It's such an honest desire. But you know what? We can only get direction as we cling to him. You don't get direction when you're emotionally upset. You don't get direction when you are sexually involved. You don't get direction when you are in, 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 in problems with your family. Do you understand what I mean? When you're in the middle of the fight, that's not when direction comes. Direction comes when you put these things aside and say, Oh God, give me direction. And guess what? He wants to give you direction more than you want direction. He wants to give you direction more than you want direction. That's so marvelous. That is so marvelous. And he will direct us. But direct us according to his word and according to his purpose. He says to Abraham, leave your own country behind you, your people, and go to the land that I will guide you to. In other words, it's, it's, it's a walk and you'll never walk alone. Oh, I love that. You'll never walk alone. He doesn't throw you out there and say, hey, see if you can make it. How you doing? Stick his head out of the clouds every now and then. You're still there? That's not God. God is on your shoulders. God whispers in your ears. God embraces you. He overshadows you. His wings are extended. And when we get to heaven, the only thing I think I want to see, I want to go into this humongous projection room where there'll be a screen for every life that ever makes it to heaven. And we'll all sit together, yet we'll only see our life before us. We'll see how many times God protected us, how many times he guided us, how many times he lifted us from a snare, how many times he walked with us. I think that's going to be a great day. Because somehow or other, I feel, I feel that now, as we live and as we walk. I think of you folks that have to take subways. I think of you people that have to uh, do so many things. Uh, it, it's so unsafe. It's so unsafe. And it, 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 it's unbelievable. My case was being presented in Charlotte, and my lawyer was telling them, she lives in an area, because you know lawyers, they think they're big stuff. She lives in an area that's beautiful from 9 to 5. <laughs> but after 5, you wouldn't want to be seen dead around there. And he, naturally, he's presenting a case. But I've got to tell you something about that. I live there. I live happy. I live very well protected. I don't say that someday something might ha happen to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about tomorrow. 
I just tell you that I hate. I trust him and I live from day to day. And I'm happy. With God, we've got, first of all, a God that calls us. Don't anybody sit here and think God has never called you. Yes, he has. He's called you through, the, through, through nature. Now, let, let, come with me to the 15th chapter. This is where I know that God is romantic. Don't tell me he isn't. <clears throat> I think it's very romantic. The 15th chapter, it says, And afterward, Jehovah spoke to Abraham in a vision. And he told him, Don't be fretful, Abraham. In other words, don't be afraid. Hey, folks, don't be afraid. For I will defend you. Could anybody do a better job? I will defend you. And I will give you, I will give you great blessings. But Abraham replied, and listen to what he said. He said, but I have no son. For without a son, some other member of my household will inherit all my wealth. Then Jehovah told him, no one will be. No one else will be your heir, for you will have a son to inherit everything you own. Then listen, here's where I say God's romantic. He could have said it in the tent. Then God brought Abraham outside beneath the nighttime skies. Hey, put violins to that, won't you please? Come on, sweet music, symphony. He brought him out beneath the nighttime sky and told him, look into the heavens and count the stars if you can. I think that's romantic. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. Hey, folks, let me put you in the mood, won't you please? God's talking to Abraham in his tent. God is telling him, I've chosen you. I'm giving you direction. Then all of a sudden the conversation stops and God promises that he's going to have an heir. God's going to give him a son. Then God says, come on, Abraham, come on outside. And he says, look at the heavens. You know something? Every great man of God, Old and New Testaments, <laughs> God always takes him for a walk to see his glory. Because we never see creation the way we should see it. We never stop to think of the heat of the sun we never stop to think of the beauty of the moon. We never stop to see the galaxies of stars. And just last week, they told me they found another galaxy that supersedes the Milky Way. What does that mean? It means of what God's made, there is no end. We've we, we got to make bigger telescopes. I mean, we've we got to get bigger machinery. But they can't see it. Now, in, in, that, in that situation, God says to Abraham, and I love it, God says to Abraham, count them. If you can, count them. Too many to count? Of course there were too many to count. And then listen to what happened. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. And then here comes the greatest verse in the entire Old Testament. So great that it's repeated continuously, continuously in the New Testament. And Abraham believed God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Abraham believed God. You see, with Abraham, you've got two things. You've got a man that heard God's voice and followed it. You've got a man that not only heard his voice, but said he would separate himself from what was dearest, from what was closest, from his country, from his land, from his people. You know why? Because whenever God calls, he separates. You know why? Because if we're not separated, we will not 
be able to hear from him as we should. So God will always, with a calling, comes a separation. And I thank God for the blood of Jesus. I thank God because today, when we accept Christ, we've got, we've got such a list of sins behind us. We've got such a list of calamities that we were involved with. We've got such a list of weaknesses. We have such a list of sins that if we're not careful, we can still smell them. We can still taste them. We can still feel them. And that's why God says, separate. Don't ever think God wants us to separate simply because, and I say this with all of my heart, simply because God's on an ego trip or that, you know, he just wants to make us bigot people. That's not it at all. Because remember how God clarifies to Abraham, if I'm separating you, it's so that in that separation, you will in turn become a blessing to the entire world. And from you and from your loins, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so we praise God for that. Now here comes that verse and Abraham believed God. He heard God's call. He obeyed God. He separated himself. And that's what we must do. And then God's blessing. Listen, and Abraham believed God. And God considered him righteous on account of his faith. You know what that means? Do you know what that means? Let me tell you what it means. It's very important that you understand this. Abraham believed God. And God considered him righteous on account of his faith. All right. You know what that means? It means that Abraham, because he believed God, came into a position where he was totally acceptable to God. He became God's man. Now, what did it take to become God's man? To believe God. He believed God. He believed the call. He obeyed the separation. Accepted the blessings. He believed God. And then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. And what does the Old Testament say? What does the New Testament say in the book of Romans? How will believers live? By faith. By faith. There is no other access to God but through faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, we're not acceptable to God. Without faith, there is no relationship between us and God. Abraham believed God. That's faith. That's faith. You say, oh, well, sister, I've got membership in the Pentecostal Church of the living God. I've got got membership in the Presbyterian Oak Cliff Church. Sister, I've been brought up in the First Methodist Church. Sister, I go to St. Patrick's Cathedral. (laughs) Would you believe it? It's awfully nice. But it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not what church. We've made churches. God has always had a tabernacle with men. In the Old Testament, he gave them a tabernacle in the wilderness. He then gave, a, gave them the most flamboyant temple the old world has ever seen. We talk sometimes about the Taj Mahal and we talk about Mecca. But none of that could be compared to the temple of Solomon. There isn't a place on earth that could have been compared to that. But then God decided that it wasn't the size of the houses or the beauty of the houses. Because the one in the wilderness was very rugged and it was portable. 
the one in Jerusalem was gorgeous, was not portable. But you see, it doesn't make any difference. This was because of circumstances and necessity, the tabernacle in the wilderness. This is because it's the land that God had given them. This was God's promise, and he said he would bless them, and God did bless them and gave them the most luxurious. That Because, listen, God, there's nothing skimpy about God. God is not on welfare. God does not wait for SSI. God has no need for nothing. You know, that's why he said to the Jewish people, don't bring me your sacrifices, I'm not hungry. Don't bring me your animals, uh, they're all mine. Don't bring me your gold and your silver. I'm the owner of the cattle on the thousand hills, uh, and every mine that flows, I've put it, placed it in the earth. So don't do that. Well, God, what God was saying, if you bring it to me, bring it to me in humility, bring it to me as an act of faith. Now listen to this, and Abraham believed God. What does that mean, folks? It means the minute the Holy Spirit brings truth to your heart, that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. When that truth clicks, when that truth is accepted by you, when that truth is incorporated in your mind and flows to your heart, at that moment, you believe God. And guess what? You're considered righteous on his account. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You think it's so hard. We make it so hard. Religions are so hard. The way people think is so hard. Uh, the, the trials they put you through. The, the tedious way they put you through. No, 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 no. And Abraham believed God. And let me tell you something. God will talk to you under the starry skies of New York City too. He'll talk to you in the humbuzz of a train going downtown. Because you see, it's not the noise around you. It's the stillness in you. You know, because we'll never be able to stop the noise around us. You can't stop kids from screaming. You can't stop people from hollering. You can't get off. You know, you remember the old play? Stop the world, I want to get off. You can't. No way. But you know where stillness takes place in here? You know where faith takes place? From here to here. And then you know what happens? Like it gets to the heart and the as the heart funnels blood right through all the muscles and tendons and nerves, uh, so faith is funneled through your being. Hallelujah. And you say, Sister Amy, but, but you know, I have a hard time with that. Well, how nice to meet you. Buenos dias. We've all had a hard time with it. We've all had a hard time with it. We've had a hard time with our old nature. We've had a hard time with our, our speculations. We've had a hard time with our bartering and our trading. Yes, we did. Oh, but I'm this. I don't think I want to become that. Or, oh, if I'm that, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm this. I'm, I'm, I'm. Forget it. Forget it. I very rarely ask anybody, what church do you go to? I'm just interested in what they're saying. I'm interested in how their spirit flows. I'm interested in knowing who they touch. Where, where does their, forgive me, where does their juice come from? Once I know that, I don't care. I don't care. I think I was the happiest chaplain in the world. I was one woman with 58 men in New York State Department of Corrections. And there I sat for 10 years. I had the most beautiful experience in the whole wide world. I was with Muslims. I'm on Muslims. I was with Catholic priests. 
I was with Episcopalian priests. I was with some Protestant ministers. And we walked together. And all of a sudden, I learned something I'd never learned before. It's not your label. It's your faith. It's not your title. It's who you're in touch with. Who controls your actions, your mouth, your mind, your heart? You know what the Bible says? Just with one little nighttime glorious escapade with God. God says, look, can you count them? That's the way your family's going to be. Abraham believed God and was counted for righteousness. You know what that means? In the Old Testament, it means Abraham was saved. Hallelujah. He was saved. <laughs> Abraham was saved. And that's the way we get saved, by believing God. Yet our revelation is so much clearer. This was just the beginning. It was the second of a 2,000-year march. And God unveiling, God showing, God bringing out. And I tell you this morning, the greatest need on the face of the earth today is faith. I was telling somebody, it sounds a little, sounds a little crazy, but I'd love to go to Saudi Arabia. I hope they have a big size of those khakis. I'd love to just walk among the soldiers and among the people there. I know they have chaplains. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say I'm a big savior. But, but it takes so little to touch God. It takes so little to meet God that I get so upset when people are hung up with churches and names. All you have to do is believe him. Believed he loved you. Accept his love. And then you're counted as righteous. But that's okay. We'll pray for the boys in Saudi Arabia. And if we never get there, that God would help them to see that all we do is hang on to the truth of God's blessing. So in Abraham, we have a man that was called, a man that was separated, a man that was blessed. And through him, we're blessed. And isn't it, isn't it interesting? We get blessed the same way, believing God. Believing God sent his son. And in the sending of his son, we accept the son. And we're saved. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the privilege of your presence, for the privilege of your word. We thank you for a man that goes from Abram to Abraham, the man that believed God, the man that accepted the tremendous challenge of faith, believed God for all of his promises. Would you make us believers this morning, Lord? We can't go on without believing we can't go on jostling. We can't go on with an without an affirmation, without a dedication, without an acceptance. Do that for us this morning. Do that for us this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're just talking to God.